Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235 and let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Nice and warm for them out there tonight. That's why they're happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not bad at all. Uh, A lot better than what it's been. Yeah, yeah. 72 degrees. Uh, about a half hour ago, I was outside and 72 degrees. So, hey. Wow. Just only only light, light sweater, light coat weather for us. That's all. Hmm. Yeah. 72. We'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not complaining. Nope. I will when it gets colder, but I'm not complaining at the moment. So. so. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Welcome to the show. It's uh, December uh, something and the 13th, <laughs> and uh, here we are. Right, another 13th falls on a Thursday this month. Yeah. And uh, we have this show and next week before uh, the big holiday um uh, on Tuesday, so there you go. Um, yeah, we have a guest next week too. Oh, good. Yeah, we were wow. talking before the show and about different things. They never give us enough time to finish our yeah. conversations. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't get a chance to tell you. Uh, Christy Sharvist from One Hope Wines is going to be with us next week. Oh, I talked to her, and she's she's going to join us. She actually she works. And I'm sure she'll tell you all this, but she works in a chiropractor, or not chiropractor, a, uh, well, maybe it is, what is it, orthopedic office. She, she works in an orthopedic office, and the reason she hasn't been able to make it uh, yet is because it's December, and she said it gets so, so busy in December with everybody trying to get all their orthopedic things done before the end of the year when they have to start doing their deductible over again. Now they've reached their deductible on all their insurance, and so they <laughs> want to get this stuff done. And she said they're really, really busy now. So, so uh, yeah. Hey, yeah. Can't blame them. Can't blame them. Yeah. Yep. That's the time to do it. That's the time to do it. So she said that... Uh, <laughs> She said they're real busy, so she apologized for not being on sooner and for not being able to get around to us, but she said it's just been so busy at work, she hadn't had a chance. Thursday night, she doesn't get out of there until after 7, and so next week, though, she will be with us, so uh, look forward to her and uh, telling tell us about One Hope Wine 
and what it's all about and everything. Pretty neat company, so we'll talk about it next week. So, uh, nothing new happening this past week. Uh, we had a cold front go through here. We did not get that nasty weather. They all got up north, and uh, so our, our I hope nobody was seriously bothered by that bad weather. Boy, it was nasty too up there. It just the snows and all that stuff. But uh, hope you had enough wine stored away. I think that's the first thing I would do is go out and stack up on wine and red wine because white wine would require some refrigeration, although you can just stick it out in the snow and it would be refrigerated for you. So that would work. But uh, (laughs) uh, I'm not not rambling. I really am not. Uh, Went out shopping today. Uh, engineer and I went out and we did our, our yearly shopping at B21. B21 is a wine and liquor store uh, located, uh, but I don't know, 20 minutes from us, 15 minutes from us. And we went down there. And every year we go down there in December and uh, cash on some of their deals and stuff and look through the wines and pick up wines and all that. And we pick out ourselves, uh, oh, I don't know, a case and a half of wine stuff. And I was looking for a lot of the odd wines uh, or odd grapes that I've been talking about. Different countries are coming out and making wines, all these grapes that we never hear of. We we always hear about the Cabernets and Merlots and the Carignans and the Barberas and, and uh, Chardonnays and the Pinot Grigios and all that. But there's all these other odd ones that are used for blends and stuff and just ones that we don't hear about often. And I was looking for some of those. And I tell you what, it's really hard to find some of those. And I did find, I don't know, two or three different ones. And they were like $40 a bottle. And I just couldn't bring myself to do that on a on a grape that I'm not familiar with, on a wine I'm not familiar with. I just couldn't see investing, if you want to call it that, $40 into a bottle of wine that I'm not sure about, even though it would be interesting and fun. So I didn't do it. But I did find a few, and one of them I found is a 2016 Skeleton. Uh, This is uh, a one-liter bottle, which is really unusual. You usually see 750 bottles. This is a one-liter bottle, and it is from Austria. Uh, not Australia, Austria. And it's uh, from Bergenland, or Bergenland, or B-U-R-G-E-N-L-A-N-D. So uh, however they shorten it, they, you know, they'll shorten it to Austrian, so uh, Bergenland. But it's a Gruner Weltliner, which is a very common grape throughout Germany and Austria in that area there. You find it quite often. Used as a blend a lot with a Riesling and uh, with Sylvaner, but I hadn't had a bridal Gruner Wurtliner ever, and so we bought it, and it was it, it is interesting. I'm, I'm drinking it right now. It's got a nice white wine aroma to it, and I that's rather vague, but it's, it's got some uh, good depth to the aroma, I'm picking up some, uh, well, engineer said it, it reminds her of a 
Sauvignon Blanc, but Sauvignon Blancs to me give more of a grassy aroma. This one's more of a, a uh, uh, fruit aroma, dry fruit aroma. Uh, oh, I can't think of a good example of this right now, what this would... But, uh, no, I may come up with a description of the aroma. But it's... Uh, it's got it's a nice light straw color. It's uh, got a, a nice dry fruit aroma. The the taste has just enough acid in it to tingle the tongue, but it's balanced well with the flavor. It has a uh, a distinct taste of a, a very dry Riesling, more probably toward a Chenin Blanc than a dry Riesling. I don't know if you're familiar with Chenin Blancs, but more like a Chenin Blanc, I think, than a, than a dry Riesling. But very good, uh, a very good wine overall. It's just, it's uh, a very good grape for a wine. In fact, I was going to look up the uh, Gruner Vertliner and tell you the heritage of it. And I might do that yet while while I'm talking about it, because I think I do have my list of grapes here that is easy to find. And if it's not easy to find, I'll give up all hope. But uh, well, it's not there. Hmm. Uh, wine grapes, wine grapes. Wine grape varieties. Okay, here we go. I knew it was easy to find. Um, but let's look up Gruner Vertliner and see what it says about that. Uh, here it is. Gruner Vertliner is a signature grape of Austria. Well, that's good because that's where this came from. And by far the nation's most widely planted wine grape. Uh, they said as Austria battles its way back to the international market, the spicy Gruner Vertliner is its flagship wine. It's uh, a classic wine shows citrus aromas, uh, lemon peel, that's probably a good description, lemon peel and grapefruit, um, by stone fruit, and that's what I was picking up more than anything, stone fruit. It also says vegetal notes, I'm not getting vegetable notes, uh, a lot on this particular one. The uh, lot of minerality, which is very true. Uh, the wine is often bottled with a slight spritz, which this one is not. Oh, my engineer just made a made a noise in the background. You're picking up spritz. Yes, I am. She is. She is. Well, let me see here. Let me look at the. Yeah, I can see little bubbles in it. Just a little. Just a little. Yeah, yeah, just a just a bit on the tongue. So this this does have some slight spritz on it, which brings up the fruitiness a little bit more. Uh, it's uh, some of the uh, newer ones instead of being aged in stainless is aged in some oak, large oak. 
so it gets a little bit heavier. I don't think this one is because I'm not getting any oak at all in this. The variety's name comes from uh, Austria's incisive marketeers. Uh, they turn this to their advantage. They're dubbing the variety Groovy. In fact, the description on the back of this even says uh, that uh, uh, our Gruner Wertliner, or Groovy for short, and so this is what they're uh, advertising as Groovy, or Groovy. Uh, Gruner means green, and so the the berries themselves are yellow-green color. Uh, and Wurtlander, a name shared by several European grape varieties, uh, notably the Roter Wurtlander. Uh, and, and so uh, the Gruner Wurtlander is grown extensively in almost every Australian wine region, but the late ripening varietal has not proved successful in the cooler, wetter climes of neighboring Germany. Huh, I thought they had a lot of it in Germany, but I guess they don't. My bad. In fact, here it is. The little chart says where it is in Australia. Austria, not Australia. Austria, 94% of all the Gruner Wurtlander is grown. Italy, USA, New Zealand, Australia, and Germany, 1% each. And Czech Republic grows some, but not even 1% of the total. And then other countries have a little bit here and there. So, oh, what does it go well with? This states uh, pairs well with a wide range of foods, uh, fresher styles, uh, salad leaves and vegetables, uh, aperitifs, and the uh, acid also... Uh, makes it a versatile wine uh, uh, to uh, the Chardonnay. Uh, traditional Wiener Schnitzel, Wasabi and Tuna Salad, Zucchini Quiche. These are some other suggestions for pairing. So, uh, Gruner Rootliner. Uh, nice. It's um, I like it too. It's it's really it's it's a refreshing light white wine. It's got that little little spritz in it, which is fun. And so uh, there's uh, that's what we're having tonight. One of them we found today, and uh, found a few others here and there on our excursion, our yearly excursion out to the uh, to the wine store, but. Um, not as uh, not as many as I'd hoped. Not as many as I expected to find. Well, I did find some. In fact, I had a hard time finding a uh, carignan. I looked all over for a carignan. I found one that was from uh, uh, where was it? Some South American, a European country. I, I can't remember which, but uh, I. Uh, didn't get it. I, I just I was looking for something else, and I just I passed by it, didn't go back and pick it up. But that was that was our excursion today. So we are uh, got our got our wine set in for the next couple months here. All right, here we go. Today's the 13th National Popcorn String Day. I hope you strung your popcorn today. If not, you still have a few hours for the days out to string your popcorn. Tomorrow is National Biscuits and Gravy Day. Hear that, Engineer? 
tomorrow, National Business Engraving. We were going to have Business Engraving a couple of days ago, and then something came up and we didn't. So it looks like we are going to be able to celebrate National Business Engraving Day on Breakfast for Dinner, National Business Engraving. And it's also National Bio-Based Day. So it's got two of them there. The 15th, National Gingerbread Latte Day. And Saturday's National Cupcake Day. So you compare all sorts of wines with cupcakes. That's always a fun thing to do there. The 16th, National Chocolate Covered Anything Day. This is an occasion we can all get behind. Chocolate Covered Anything. So whatever you have, if you want to chocolate cover it, it is acceptable on the 16th. And that means that you can have just about any red wine with just about anything you want to dip in chocolate Sunday. Oh, boy, what a day. What a day. That should be fun. Monday, the 17th, National Maple Syrup Day. 18th, National I Love Honey Day. And that also is National Roast Sucking Pig Day. And so um, honey roasted pig, I guess, is it, it goes well with that, doesn't it? The 19th, next Wednesday, National Hard Candy Day and National Oatmeal Muffin Day. Oatmeal Muffin, that you compare some wines with that. And then next Thursday, if you want to get a jump on it before we get on the show, National Sangria Day. So you can make up your be a pitcher of sangria and enjoy it all day. If anybody says anything, say, hey, it's National Sangria Day. So that's up until the 20th next week. So we got you got you set on that. Uh, let's see. Trivia. Always time for trivia here. Problem child, our trivia right now. There may be, uh, there may not be much in the way of gastronomic evidence for cosmic injustice, but one thing is certainly unfair. Chocolate, arguably one of the world's best-loved pleasures, is high on the list of problem foods when it comes to wine. Okay, there's port. And admittedly, port, full in body, dense in texture, sweet and fortified with a bit more alcohol, does marry pretty well with dark chocolate. But if you're not crazy about port, are you out of luck? No. Chocolate has another partner, one that's less well-known than port, but actually a better marriage. Australian's liquor muscats, known in Australia as a sticky. These dessert muscats are deep amber in color, syrupy, sweet, and have an explosive lush flavor reminiscent of roasted walnuts, toffee, vanilla, brown sugar, and honey. Like port, they are fortified, so the correct serving is just a small glass. Best of all, they are reasonably priced, 18 to $30 for a half bottle. That would be a 375 milliliter. Best of all, they are reasonably priced. Oops, I read that. And absolutely sensational with chocolate. Ever the hiddenness, Australians drink liquor muscats with a big bowl of homemade chocolate pudding. Some brands to look for, Seaplet, Morris, Yolumba, and Campbell's. So, they go muscat, a uh, Australian sticky. 
speaking of ports, while we were doing our shopping day, we were looking in the port section. Looked all over. Nobody makes a strawberry port, sad to say. So once mine's gone, that's it. I didn't see any others on the shelf. But uh, didn't find any ports. Another bit of trivia for you while we're at it. Alsace Grand Cru. As many wine drinkers know, the wines of Alsace can be intensely flavored, especially those labeled Grand Cru. These are wines from what, beginning in eight, uh, 1983, were deemed the top 50 vineyards in the region. If regular Alsace wines have the vividness of colored TV, the Grand Cru's are high-definition Technicolor, or high-def. Interestingly, while a Grand Cru vineyard could be planted with any of the many great varieties allowable in Alsace, the final wine can be labeled with the words Grand Cru only if the wine is made from Riesling, Gerberstraminer, Pinot Gris, or Muscat. These are, in a sense, the only varieties the Alsatians consider worthy of expressing the Grand Cru-ness of a Grand Cru site. Among some favorites, uh, rich concentrated wines from Grand Cru vineyards, domains in Humbrock, Gerberstraminer, and Timbrock, Cuvée, Frederick Emol Riesling from two different Grand Cru's. So there's, uh, when you buy them, you know you're going to get the best. All right, we'll visit another trivia shortly here. And, but first, but first, what are tannins? We've talked about tannins a lot. We talk about tannins in the wines. We talk about how tannins are are uh, present in red wines, not in whites, they're just in the reds. And we, we're constantly mentioning a red wine has some good tannins in it. And everybody that drinks red wine say, ooh, this is a good tannin. But what is it? What is tannins? Where do they come from? How do they get them? What, what's tannins all about? Well, let's talk about tannins for a little bit here. Tannins are a group of bitter astringent compounds which can be found abundantly in nature. They're present in wood, bark, leaves, and fruit of plants as various as oak, rhubarb, tea, walnut, cranberry, cocoa, and grapes. Perhaps most importantly, and this is what we're talking about, they're found in wine from the grapes. Now, this is something I bet you didn't think about, though, have you? The, the tannin that's in cranberry. Have yourself a, a cranberry cocktail or something, and you, you, you've got tannins in there. If you look for them, you know what, the, what you're tasting, but probably you never considered this. What do tannins do? Well, well plants have tannins in them and make them unpalatable to plants or to, to bugs. Uh, plants have them so bugs won't eat them. The purpose of nature is to deter animals and bugs from eating the plant's fruit and seeds before they're ripe. And then once they're ripe, you know, here, eat my fruit, go out and spread it around so the seeds can grow babies somewhere. Tannins are responsible for that astringent mouth-coating feeling you get from biting into an unripe pear or plum. 
plum is probably better than a pear. I, I've bitten into pears that weren't ripe, and you just ooh, but plums really give you that head-shaking taste, I think, more than pears do, although I'm a big pear fan, so that I don't get the cheer too easy from pears. Humans have used tannins over the years for all sorts of stuff. They've used various tree bark for a long time to tan animal hides and to make leather. That's, you know, tannins have been used to cure leather. Some foods are also prized for their tannin. The bitterness and astringency, when managed and put together properly, can be quite appealing and quite pleasant. Examples include tea, coffee, dark chocolate, and, of course, wine. And whenever I explain to people what tannin is, I always say, tea, coffee, you're coughing. Well, that's really a lot of tannins. It's balanced. It's there. But that's, that's tannin that you're tasting. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, tannins and wine, where do they come from? Tannins can stem from primary sources, some basic primary sources, the grape skins, a lot of tannins, the pips or the seeds, and the stems, and wood barrels used during aging. And the wood barrel adds some, and it depends on how long you leave them in it. It can add a lot, but usually wood doesn't add a lot until it's been in there aging for a little bit longer. They provide the texture and mouthfeel to a wine as well as a sense of weight and structure. You take a light white wine or a red wine with no tannins in it, and you swirl it around your mouth and swallow it. Then you take a wine that has tannins in it and swirl that in your mouth and swallow it, and you'll see what they mean by weight. Um, I used to always like to describe weight when I was talking to people at the winery. I didn't, people don't didn't understand what I meant by the, the mouthfeel, the weight of a, of a wine. Take milk. You grab yourself a, a glass of whole milk, and you taste it. And you know the taste of that. And then you grab yourself a glass of skim milk, and you taste that. The difference between the two, and, I, and most everyone out there knows the difference. The difference between the two, how, how much lighter, how much heavier the whole milk taste than the, the skim milk, which is lighter, that's weight in the mouth. That's just it's very evident in that. And wine will present itself the same way. It will give you weight the same way. Uh, how do you describe tannin? I've been describing it to you already, but let's, let's see what this article says here. This article says, it's important to distinguish between the quality and quantity of tannins. Texture is useful to describe the quality of tannins. For example, silky, plush or velvety. When a wine has a pleasant amount of tannins, noticeable but not unobtrusive, it's often described as grippy. When tannins are described as green, they're slightly bitter and have unpleasant astringency. Okay, you taste a wine, a green wine. I've heard green described in some wines. I've used it myself, not being pretentious, but just the only word I can come up with that really described it. Polished or elegant tannins will be very fine-grained in texture, noticeable but uh, but pleasant. Okay, You can get a wine that has aged some of its tannins away, and you're going to get one that's polished. 
uh, or elegant. A lot of times, young tannins are not polished or elegant. They tend to be a little bit green. Uh, some of them uh, even described as grippy. They just they take over the mouth film and stuff like that more than anything. So tannins can play a big part in your initial taste. Another important element is the difference between bitterness and astringency. Okay, bitterness and astringency, two completely different words. Bitterness refers to taste, while astringencies refers to the tactile sensation. All right, when you describe a wine, ask these questions. Do tannins immediately coat the mouth or do they appear slowly? Do they dominate the wine or are they matched by freshness and fruit? And are they integrated and gentle, are assertive and harsh? These are all things. Obviously, you want something that's uh, integrated and gentle. An aged wine will give you that uh, uh, integrated and gentle tannin taste. It will, it will blend it in together. I, I like an aged wine that has not aged all of its tannins out of it. Once you age all the tannins out of a wine, you get fruit. Yeah, and you get a lot of fruit. You get some depth. But I like that bite. And that tannin's going to give you that little bite, that little uh, that little bit of, uh, uh, ooh, that, that just got me very nicely right back in the back of the mouth and on the side of the tongue there. Um, not harsh, not, not overpowering, but just a nice, gentle taste of tannin. And it, it doesn't dominate the wine. You want one that uh, is there, but it is also accompanied by the freshness and the fruit of the wine. And usually tannins, if a wine is heavily, heavily tank, then you will taste it right away. I mean, as almost as soon as that hits that tongue, you just go, whoa, this has got a lot of tannins in it. And that immediately covers up the fruits and the flavors and everything because the tannins just dominate. But once it starts mellowing out, once it starts aging a little bit and those tannins start dissipating a little bit, then you start getting that tannins that slowly appear. That once it hits in your mouth, you start getting flavors and fruits and stuff, and then the tannins start showing up and saying, hey, I'm here too. Watch me. Look what I can do to add depth to this wine. And that's what they do once you get that balance. While tannin is a collective term for various phonelic compounds, all tannins have one thing in common. They bind and precipitate proteins. For example, separate, separate them out in your mouth, they, what they do is they take the proteins and separate them out. Uh, well, what does this mean? You know, you're saying, I've never had that done to me. Yeah, you do. Human saliva is full of protein. That's spit for all you people who don't understand. Which is what makes it so slippery. A tannic red wine will bind to saliva. This is what causes the mouth to feel dry. <coughs> Excuse me, I need to take a sip of my, uh, what do they call it, groovy, groovy. This is nice. This is a nice white one. Very good, actually. 
Yeah, very good aftertaste. You didn't hear me point out. Very good aftertaste. Yeah. And it, it lingers enough that you really, you, you taste it, but it's not unpleasant. Not a, It's got acid, but the acid doesn't get you. It's just a nice mouthfeel acid on it. All right. Now, let's go back to this. A tannic red wine will bind to saliva. This is what causes the mouth to feel dry. All right, there's a good example. This protein binding quality is often cited as the reason why red wine and steak are such a good pairing. Though this also has to do with how the wine's astringency counteracts the fattiness of the meat. So an astringent wine will affect the fattiness in, in any meat, be it a steak or anything. Even if it's a very lean piece of meat, it's to get a little bit of a little bit of fat in there that you need to not chunks of it, but it does have a little bit of fat in there. And the astringency is what counteracts it. But if you're ever saying, Oh, tannin is what makes that dryness in your mouth, that's why. Because the uh Tannins bind to the proteins, and saliva is protein. So that's what happens there. Some grape varieties have more tannins than others. And we've talked about that. We know that. Uh, some of the very tannic wines include the Cabernet Sauvignon, Nebbiolo, Malverde, Melbeck, Tannet, Syrah, or Syrahs, Tempranillo, Merlot, and Sangiovese. Whether the winemaker or winemaking technique encourages the extraction of tannins is a question of style. Wines made from the grapes like the Pinot Noir, Gamay, and Grenache, which have much thinner grape skins, are much less tannic. And this is where the tannin comes from again, from the skins and the seeds and stems, and some from the barrels. So if you start out with thin skins, you're already losing some tannins there. Grape varieties can produce a good idea about the concentration of tannin in a wine uh, and the ripeness. A good example is the Syrah. It has a lot of tannin, but it expresses itself differently depending on the climate and the vintage. So, a hot climate like Barossa in Australia produces strong grapes that are super ripe, making the tannins pretty smooth, lush, and rounded. But in the temperate northern Rhone, the tannins come across as more structured, drying, drying and angular. That tannin structure of a Cabernet Sauvignon grapes from Bordeaux in France differ with warmer and cooler vintages. Extraction during winemaking also plays a big role. So how tannin is treated and how tannin is put together varies depending on, well, depending on the winemaker, obviously, depending on the climate and the grape. But if you have the same grape grown in different areas, that tannin, depending on the winemaker, can be different again also. And it could be the same. You can have one that's grown in a very cool climate, but if the winemaker brings out the tannins, whereas one grown in a warm climate, and he tries to soften the tannins, not leaving the skins on as long, then you can get the same amount of tannins. So all this can be, all this can be played with. All this can be manipulated. 
Dependents help age wine. It's often said that they will help age wine. Plenty of white wines reach a magnificent age without tannins, though. There's super sweet sauternes and toques and ice vines and, uh, you know, some Riesings, a lot of you know, very sweet Riesings. These can age for years and years without tannins. However, mouthfeel changes as a red wine matures. The white wines, you don't get a difference in mouthfeel. It's, it's the structure and the, the balance of the acids in there. Initially, the tannins leach into a wine are similar, are, are smaller molecules. With time, these tannins start to combine and form larger change. This is a process called polymerization. And let me give you a definition of polymerization. Uh, oh, this goes into tannins, condensed tannins, tannin extraction methods, complex tannin benefits, tannin. Well, this doesn't give it to you just by itself. I thought maybe I could find just a definition of that, but it's not there. Huh, oh well. Well, I'll back up. This, this talks about the tannin chemistry, in which I might hit on that shortly in a minute here once I finish this. But one theory is that this aging process reduces the tannin's radioactive, uh, I'm sorry, radio, reactive surface, which produces a softer mouthfeel. These tannin chains become so long that they fall out of suspension, which creates a deposit and leads to sediment in some bottles. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? You've had bottles that have the sediment that you've had in there. It's because the tannins start clinging to other tannins and they form a chain. They become so heavy that they cannot suspend themselves anymore, and so they drop in the bottle as deposits or sediment. Not clear whether this reaction is the only thing that makes aged wines less astringent. In, some, in any case, mature wines are often described as being resolved tannins. I've never heard that, but, you know, that's... Hmm, which are smooth, soft, and no longer astringent. However, if a red wine has harsh, bitter, and unbalanced tannic structure to begin with, no amount of aging will even all that out. So you have to have structure to begin with. You have to have a good tannin balance to start with before you can even attempt to try to get yourself a good balanced tannin at the end. Okay, let me go find where I was here. Uh, Oh, there I am. The effect of maceration and fermentation methods. Maceration time, or the amount of time red wine spends in contact with the skins during winemaking, has an important influence on tannin. A shorter maceration allows less time for tannins and color to leach into the wine as it ferments. Rosé wines, for example, have a very short maceration time. They pull the skins off, which gives it no or little tannin, and it makes the wine pink. 
as fermentation continues, more tannins are leached as alcohol that develops begins to act as a solvent. Okay, and it takes care of your color. Some winemakers also use grape stems to add structure to wines, like a Pinot Noir or Syrah. That means that the entire bunch goes into fermenting vat. This is also known as whole bunch or whole cluster fermentation. That's used quite often, really. I, I'm surprised that they say some. I, I, you know, quite a few I've talked to use that. Uh, it's uh, known as skin contact. White wines sometimes undergo a short period of maceration. Uh, this is common for aromatic and semi-aromatic grapes like Gewürztraminer and a Riesling. Winemakers can also assist in this process. Pijage or punch down is a very gentle extraction technique where the winemaker carefully pushes the grape skins that rise to the top during fermentation back into the must. Some wineries have tanks fitted with internal grids that keep the grape skins from and keep the grape skins submerged. Uh, Remitage or pump-over offers a slight more effective extraction. The liquid at the bottom of the fermenting vat is drawn off and pumped back over the grape skins. Uh, Delastage or rack and return is when a fermenting vat's liquid is separated from the solids and poured back onto them in one motion. Some wineries also have so-called roto-fermenters, which are like giant front-loading washing machines that rotate. This movement helps extract both tannin and color. It's just a faster process. It just mix it all up well, and it just puts it all together. Without these type of things that you're doing here, you can just let it sit there and, and then mix it up, and it just is longer. So this is a faster way to get the skins to release its color and to mix it all through the wine. Once red wine has finished fermenting, it's pressed, which separates the liquid from the solids. Some winemakers press in different batches at different pressures for greater control, where the batches under the highest pressure will be the most tannic. Obviously, they are extracting more of the tannins on the skins. By employing a variety of wines with varying degrees of tannic extraction, it enables the winemaker to achieve a particular blend consistent across numerous vintages. Okay, so by doing that, he can say, okay, this and this and this, this was extracted at 100 pounds, this at 50 pounds, this at 25 and if I blend 30% of the 25 and 60% of the 50 with the balance of the 10, then I'm going to get the same blend year after year after year uh, just by varying those a little bit. So that's how that's done. The best, best winemakers base tannin management on a multitude of factors, which includes the ripeness of the grape, their skins, and the style of which they want to make. Aging, freshly fermented wine in new oak barrels will leach tannins from the wood into the wine. Now, this requires a wine with significant weight and power that it won't be overwhelmed by the oak's own tannins. Although you will oak a wine a lot. Now, when you say an oak wine, a lot of times that oak wine is 
if you look for it, you're going to find a lot of tannin in that. Good tannin management avoids harshness or bitterness, which happens when grapes are not sufficiently ripe or when they're over-extracted, which can happen. You can find wines that way. You go and buy wine, if you start looking for it a little bit more, you will notice it. Uh, they're there. Another sip of my wine. All right. White wines ever have tannin or orange wines? Some white wines undergo a short period of maceration. This is known as skin contact. Freshly harvested harvested grapes are crushed and left for a few hours or longer on their skins before they start to ferment. This pulls flavors out of the grape skins. A common practice for aromatic and semi-aromatic grapes like Gewürztraminer and Rieslings. There is also a recent rise of orange wines. Amber-colored bottlings made from white grapes that are identified with full skin contact, like red wines. These wines have tannic elements, though not as strong as it can be in reds. They're calling them orange wines. I, I'm reading more and more about orange wines. It's a white wine that is fermented just like a red, only you don't get the color leaching because the grapes are white. And so you're going to get uh, a, some coloration because the juice is white in the middle and the grapes are green or you know, whatever color they might be. They are not pure white, so they will change the color of the juice a little bit. And then the process goes the same. It does give a little bit of tannin, not a lot. Uh, and it, uh, it, it's, I've had a chance to have one, and it is odd because you start, if you close your eyes, it's like a, a very light red wine because the tannins will come out a little bit in it. But when you look at it, you see the white, and it's deceptive. It's, it's quite deceptive. But um, they're calling them orange wines because of the, the colors that they're bringing out doing that. What about tannins and sparkling wines? All right. The bubbles and sparkling wines act like millions of little magnifying glasses that can highlight each aspect of the wine. Since these bubbles provide a textorial element, and bottled fermented wines also have texture from aging on yeast, additional texture from tannins usually come across as bitter. And the bubbles would bring out the astringency. So, that's why the pressing regimen for high-quality sparkling wines is crucial. The very few red sparkling wines that exist, like a sparkling Syrah or Lambrusco, counteract bitterness with a little sweetness. The wine will still taste dry, but a touch of sugar will take the edge off of that dryness. All right. Now, let me back up here since we're talking about tannins. And let me go into the... uh, Oops, not there. I didn't go back far enough. Um, Let me talk about 
some of the Oh, this is molecular. This is a paper on the molecular. Uh, wine grape can interaction with salivary proteins and their impact on astringency. This is a uh, Australian Research Review paper here. Quite long, actually. How many pages? 17 pages long. This thing. I am not going to do it. It is. Uh, it's a scientific paper. Actually, other 17 pages. Uh, Twelve of them are footnotes, but it lays out the uh, in-depth method of how proteins are affected in the mouth with the uh, tannins. Here's what I want: uh, pollinization. The This is uh, tannin chemistry, and I, I'm not going to go into this as deep as I just did on them. What I just discussed with you was, I think, plenty to tell you about tannins, but I just a couple of things here uh, that I did notice. Tannins are substances widely distributed in plants. They serve as defense mechanisms against predators. Uh, uh, hydros, hydro Hydrolyzable tannins, uh, so-called because the compounds are attached to sugar molecules, and it can uh, the uh, low concentrations in grape juice, and this also can be found in oak barrels, uh, the woodiness of the oak barrels, uh, that type of tannin. Condensed tannins, uh, so-called because their ability to Polymerize or bind with uh, anthocyanins, and this is found in seeds and in skins. Uh, tannin extraction techniques. There's uh, numerous different ones. Most common for wine is one I described to you. Complex tannins. Tannins continue to evolve over the course of the life of a wine, both in bulk in carboys or barrels or in bottles. Okay, they're saying evolve. We just discussed how they evolve in bottles by binding and becoming a, a, a string of tannins that over a period of time will fall as sediment in your bottles. Tannin benefits, and this is the paragraph that I particularly noted, of one benefit of tannins is that act as natural fining agents by binding to them, precipitating haze, causing proteins. Right. Uh, the single most important benefit of tannins is that they are natural antioxidants. A red wine's aging potential is largely based on its tannin content. And here they're saying that it is nothing but tannins that cause it to age. Tannins have an affinity for binding to oxygen to protect wine from the effects of oxidation. By restricting the availability of dissolved oxygen to oxidation-prone compounds, less oxygen is available to transform phenolics into browning compounds and alcohol into uh, acetaldehyde, a common swallage compound. So cans actually pull out these things and bind to these things that are in your wine 
which helps it age. That's why people can pick up a glass of wine, sip it, and go, oh, wow, this will age for a good 30, 40 years, 50 years, 100 years, whatever, because of the amount of tannins, and they know how long that's going to last, and they know how that's going to affect the wine over the period of time, obviously stored properly and in you know right conditions, but you can you can learn that you can learn how to tell how long a wine's going to survive by the amount of tannins. So there you go, a little bit of little background on tannins. So as you're as you're drinking wines now, as you're drinking red wines, you can start looking for the tannins and. Uh, Understanding what they are and seeing what they are and probably uh, better understand what you're looking for there and what you're experiencing in all of them. All right. Uh, Let's do another bit of trivia. And this one is Madeira. Madeira. Maybe if I can get this page open here. The last time many of us thought about Madeira, it may have been to wonder if we should spike up the stew with a shot of it. How tragic that one of the world's great classic wines has for decades been relegated to the kitchen as a flavor enhancer. At last, however, the tide is turning. Madeira is increasingly the hip wine and to order in fashionable restaurants across the country. The reason, thanks to Madeira, is once again being made in the painstaking, handcrafted way that they were centuries ago. The wine's quality has vastly improved. The best Madeiras possess an almost otherworldly flavor. Toffee, caramel, roasted nuts, dried apricots, orange peels, licorice, exotic spices, and brown sugar surge around in the wine glass like caged animals. I like that. That's a very good description there. Though Madeira is a fortified wine, like port, its unique character comes not so much from fortification as from, uh, what is it, estufagin, a process whereby the wine is heated sometimes for years to temperatures that average as much as 105 degrees Fahrenheit. There are four main styles of Madeira to choose from. S-E-R-C-I-A-L, Circle is a brassically dry. Verdijo is medium dry. Bale is medium rich. And Momsme is richly sweet. And the three top producers to look for are Blandy's, Leacox, and Cosart Gordon. So Madeira. Madeira is, you know, it's coming back up, but you're starting to see it more and more. And uh, let's see. I want to talk a little bit about Walsh Vineyards. Walsh Vineyards has been sending me uh, emails, and I haven't passed a lot of them on to you. Now is a good opportunity to do it. Shipping to 24 states this holiday. Thank you for your support, they say. Lost Vineyards uh, has extended their shipping uh, to as many as 24 states. They're currently able to ship to, uh, well, I'm not going to go through the list, 
but uh, they keep improving all the time. Walsh Vineyards, uh, for those of you who don't know, is located in Mannheim, Pennsylvania, on Old Line Road. Waltz, W-A-L-T-Z. Um, Waltz Vineyards also, and this is uh, a good thing, tasting this Saturday, which is the day after tomorrow, uh, they have a tasting beginning at 2 o'clock. And they're uh, going to have uh, tastings uh at the, the winery and also at Wegman's King of Prussia on Saturday in the wine shop uh, for Christmas shopping. They'll have their wines available for purchase. And so that's coming up uh, this Saturday. And then there's something else. Uh, their wine club membership is available from Wallace Vineyards. Uh, you can uh, go for purchases, gift cards, wine accessories, logo apparel, local cheeses, uh, all sorts of stuff. So visit the website, www.waltzvineyards.com, or give them a call, 717-664-9463. Again, they're located in Pennsylvania, and you can sign up for their newsletter, uh, which uh, any of those sites, you can go to Waltz Vineyard and just you know, uh, subscribe for the newsletter and they'll put you on their list uh, and uh, you can find out what's coming in and what's happening and all that for Walt's Vineyard. Delmonico Winery and Vineyard. Delmonico Winery and Vineyard is located in... Oh, wait a minute. Where is it? I don't know. Did Michael Wine, where are you guys located? You just email me a browser. There we go. Okay, I'm starting to get everything here. The Monaco Wine Virginia is located in Baxter, Tennessee. 600 Lance Drive in Baxter, Tennessee. And their phone number 931 That's www dot com and they've got uh, their Mise Vino, their monthly wine subscription box they have uh, beautiful uh, tasting of them, beautiful winery there $35 a month you receive a theme box with a bottle of at least one wine along with three to five unique wine accessories worth about $60 Cards will automatically be charged on the 5th of the month, and boxes shipped out within three days, basically as soon as your card clears. They have uh, upcoming events throughout the month of December to help celebrate the holidays. Discount off wine, one to five models, you get a 15%, 6 to 11, 20, 12 or more, 25%. And uh, they have... Uh, 25 maximum seating in the Bordeaux room. The Champagne room is 50 max. Tuscany room, 60 max seating. And the Grand Bella room, 300 can sit in there. So if you're in the Tennessee area and you are looking for a venue for an event, there you go. The 
get a hold of Delmonico Vineyards, and I'm sure they can accommodate just about anything that you want to do. They also have a great recipe here for a strawberry cake made with Delmonico strawberry wine. I mean, just reading the recipe, you want to, you know, mouth starts watering. So it's just just a really great recipe. And, excuse me, they have upcoming events listed and all sorts of good stuff here. So Delmonico Vineyard, again, www.delmonicowinery.com, 931-858-1177, located in Baxter, Tennessee. And let's see, I know I've got another winery. Of course we always have another winery. What about our... Wine that we always have that's local here that we are always talking about, Whispering Oaks. Of course, Whispering Oaks is always good about having something going on. Whispering Oaks is located just north, uh, well, not just north, north of Tampa, uh, east or west of the villages in northern, which is west of Gainesville and uh, that area there, what's Mother Town? I'm thinking of Gainesville and uh, I don't know, I can't think of it. Um, but in that area there, they're located in Oxford on County Road 475. You can go to Whispering. Wait a minute, I don't want to give the wrong email because they got a strange one here, don't they? Uh, Florida wines, I think, or something like that. But to celebrate the New Year's, Whispering Oaks New Year's, a wonderful time to spend with them, New Year's. Uh, buy one, get one. Buy one case, get a case free. Uh, makes for a, a great gifts too, a December special. Uh, buy one case, get one case free. They... Uh, must be 21, obviously, to do it. Whispering Oaks, delightfully dry only, falls under that category. I've had that. That's a pretty decent wine, if you like to put dry wine. But uh, buy one, get one free. So you're in half price on a normal taste, if you want to look at it that way. Good way to give gifts. Get your tickets to the December 31st. Ghost Town Blues Band is coming to Whispering Oaks to help celebrate the new year. Only $100 per person, three-stage buffet dinner, drinks, live music. It uh, has uh, all sorts of stuff going on here. I'm, I'm going to go through all these different things that they have here. The Ghost Town Blues Band has won themselves a whole bunch of uh, awards and nominations for awards and stuff. So, uh, obviously, they have it together. The... Uh, Adult dinner buffet is from 7 to 9.30, and it includes garden salad, rolls, seasonal vegetables, wild grain rice, roasted red bliss potatoes, London broil, penne alalata, and chicken marsala. Wow, that in itself. And with a two-and-a-half-hour buffet, you can fill up on each of those entrees. It's a plate for itself. Dessert station is from 10 to 11.30. includes a coffee station that has assorted cakes, pastries, cookies, and blueberry cobbler. And then the wine 
and beer bar will be open from 6.30 to 12.30. So there's all sorts of stuff going on. $100 per person, make reservations, and you can go up there, listen to music, and sit around the fire and celebrate the New Year's at Whispering Oaks Winery and Vineyard uh, in Oxford, Oxford, Oxnard, uh, Oxford, California. And Florida. I, uh, Florida. <laughs> California, didn't I? Yeah. Jeez. I mean, it's way out there, but I don't think it's that far out there. <laughs> not that far. Not no. that far. West Coast, but not of the state, just of the, of the state. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Yeah. California. I do that. I, I I still do. I lived in California for years, and I still refer to things as California. I don't know. I, I don't know. Oh, oh well. All right. Yeah. And so uh, there we. Oh, one other thing. One other thing. Quickly here. Uh, it is the season, and so I'm going to talk about that closer look at German sect. S E K T. Let me take a sip of this wine. All right. It is the holiday season. So I'm going to go through these 12 points of a closer look at German sect. Sparkling wine, or sect, is extremely popular in Germany. Germans drink more sparkling wine per capita than anywhere in the world. I read that and I'm like, wow. Two. Germans don't need a special occasion like weddings or New Year's Eve to enjoy sex. Sex is a regular accompaniment to everyday gatherings and weeknight dinners, whether grilling out or enjoying a hearty casserole. I tell people all the time, sparkling wine is too good for everything. Three, the highest quality sex is simply made from one great variety rather than a blend, though Cuvées exist and are also delicious. Four, around 50% of premium sec is made from Riesling. Five, sec produced from Riesling has racy acidity, minerality, and notes of citrus and apple. Stalls range from extra dry to off dry, which off dry is slightly sweet. Six, after Around 30% of sect is made from the three Pinots. Pinot Noir, which is called Speckburgunder, Pinot Blanc, which is called Weissburgunder, and Pinot Gris, called Grauburgunder. Pinot Cuvées are also quite common. Seven, Pinot Noir grapes are mainly used for German Rosé sect as, uh, or as Pinot as German Rosé sect, or as Blanc de Noir. Red Pinot Noir sect is versatile with food, offering notes of juicy strawberry and raspberry. Eight, there are three legal classifications of sect made of German grapes. Dutcher sect, sect B.A., and Wines, uh, Windsor sect. W-I-N-Z-E-R-S-E-C-K-T. Nine, Dutrasect in the case that 100% of grapes in the wine come from Germany. Sect B.A. 
indicates that 100% of grapes come from a specific region and are subject to quality control, including a quality control text number or an APNR. It's a quality control. So you narrow it down even more there. And the Weinzer Sex is a high-quality sparkling wine made from a single vintage and grape variety or Pinot Cuvée produced in the traditional method and aged on these for at least nine months. And obviously, as those jump up, you're going to pay more for each one. And 12, high-quality sect will include the following on the label. The origin, grape variety, and the method of production. So since we've got the holidays coming upon us, not only should you look for champagnes and Proseccos and cuvées, but also look for the German S-E-K-T for your sparkling wines. So there you go. Now I'm done. Um, we will uh, have, as uh, Ron said at the beginning of the show, a, a special guest uh, next week. And uh, be looking out for that on the show page. Uh, we'll put a little information on, on uh, the guest as well. And, um, well, looking forward to it. And that'll be the show before, right before the week. God, five days before Christmas. <laughs> so there you right. go. Right. <laughs> good, good time to kick off the big holiday. So uh, that'll be great. Um, yeah, we'll, um, we'll go ahead and uh, close the show down for this week. Thank you to everybody worldwide for tuning in. I appreciate it. And if you have any questions or comments or anything, uh, you can email allaboutwine101 at gmail.com. And the links are on the, uh, the website as well as uh, the um, show information for tonight as well. So it's, it's all in there. Um, and I guess that's, uh, that'll do it for this week. Uh, so take care and have a safe uh, weekend and week coming up. And we'll see you all next Thursday. December 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Radio, radio. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. We do appreciate it. And Mike, before you leave me, I, I've lost my oh, studio page, so pull me in with you. You lost, you lost your. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was just pulling the little in, the outro thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll yeah, well, you would have. Yeah, you would have went it. and left me, and I couldn't go join you. So pull me in with you. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. We'll see y'all next time. Thanks again. See y'all next Bye. week. <laughs> this concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine.